Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and you're listening to Words on Film on WBCALP Boston. I will be reviewing some of the newest movies out right now. As of today, the day that I'm recording my show, award season is officially over. I think for just about all arts, but most especially for movies, because the Oscars is the last, but definitely not the least, award show to give out awards for achievements in filmmaking. And I'm going to go over not so much the nominees as much as the winners and what I thought deserved to win, what didn't deserve to win, and so on and so forth. So I had my own sort of Oscar poll going for me. It wasn't um, anyone else who was involved in it, but I always take pride in the fact that I pick more winners than I do, or I, I pick the winner correctly more than I don't. And this year, when I tallied up my results, I'm bragging a little bit, but not too much because I'm still kind of miffed about the ones that I got wrong. I actually had 14 of the 23 categories correct in terms of picking the winner, and I got nine incorrect. And I think probably the ones that hurt the most are the ones that not only did I pick incorrectly, but also the winners who I did not uh, predict would go up and make absolutely inspiring speeches. So I'd feel bad for getting the winner wrong, and I also feel bad for underestimating what the, the winners were about to say. It's, it's very easy for me to pick the winner, they go up, they make an inspiring speech, and I just nod in front of the TV and I say, yep, I knew it the whole time. <laughs> they deserve to win. Well, I, I guess when you spend so many weeks or months making a film, regardless of your role in making the film, and especially if you get nominated, you most people who work on these films have the right frame of mind. I think just about anybody could make an inspiring acceptance speech, but it doesn't happen all the time. Well, anyway, I'm going to go through the science categories in the Oscars, and I'm not going to name all the nominees like I did last week. Instead, I'm going to tell you what who the winners were, and I'm also going to tell you who I think the winners should have been, unless I got them right. So I'm going to start from the best visual effects. The winner in this category was Avatar The Way of Water. Did I get this one right? I most absolutely did. Granted, the other four nominees, very quickly, All Quiet on the Western Front, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Top Gun Maverick also had very great special effects themselves, or visual effects, I should say. But Avatar The Way of Water, unlike these other four films, created another part of this planet, Pandora, and they created a a wealth of not only awe-inspiring visuals, but they also created some very unique characters as well, all on a green screen, and that really can't be ignored. So, best visual effects, I got it right. Best film editing. The winner in this category was Paul Rogers for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and this is another category that I got right, so that's two of the sciences that I got right as well. My reasoning behind this was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once had a lot of editing involved with it. I mean, it had to do some sort of cohesive narrative using various dimensions. But as I said, when I first reviewed everything everywhere all at once months ago, 
Everything Everywhere All at Once did this a lot better than Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which also had to do with the multiverse and probably had 10 times the budget of Everything Everywhere All at Once. But the, the film editing definitely contributed positively to the story. And the other four films, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick, didn't quite have that um, sort of advantage over Everything Everywhere All at Once. I would probably say... Elvis came very close, as did Top Gun Maverick, but everything everywhere all at once won, and in my opinion, it deserved to win. So on to best costume design, which I guess isn't really a science. It is more of an art, but I guess there's some science involved in it. After all, I don't really do costumes, and um, I've been telling you people as I've been hosting this podcast that I'm dressed in my finest tuxedo, and those people who are watching me on Facebook know that is that is an absolute lie. I'm dressed in khakis and a t-shirt, but just goes to show you my view on, or rather, my lack of knowledge about costume design. But the winner in this category was Ruth E. Carter for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and I got it correct. And what's great about this winner, uh, Ruth E. Carter, is not only is she the first black woman to win two Oscars for Best Costume Design, she is actually, and this is a Amazing and also a little sad. Ruth Carter is the only black woman to win two Oscars, period, in any category. Hopefully that changes in the next couple of years and not the next couple of decades. But very happy for Ruth Carter. She's been designing costumes for a very long time. And I think it was at the Oscars where they said that she first got her start designing costumes for the Spike Lee film School Days back in 1988. And she's come a long, long way since then. Because, not, not that I would slam anything about School Days, but it's a movie about college kids. So, I, I guess there's some sort of um, involvement with costumes, but I, I imagine from my memory of School Days that it was a lot of jeans and t-shirts, which it most certainly was. But there was also some costume design in the fraternities and the sororities that were in that film as well. So congratulations to Ruth Carter for that award. So that's three categories that I got right. Best makeup and hairstyling. The winner in this category was Adrian Moreau, Judy Chin, and Anne Marie Bradley for The Whale. This is another one, kind of tooting my own horn a little bit, that I also got correct because Brendan Fraser did look very authentic as a 600 pound man. And this movie did definitely have some competition. I did say on last week's show that Elvis might pull off an upset. And the reason I said that Elvis in particular, as opposed to the other three nominees, all quiet on the Western front, the Batman and black Panther Wakanda forever, um, would not quite as much as Elvis is because the very last scene with Austin Butler playing Elvis was him duplicating Elvis's last uh, te televised or rather his last taped performance playing Unchained Melody. And they played Austin Butler portraying Elvis and then they played Elvis's actual last performance playing Unchained Melody. And I couldn't tell the difference between the two. But the reason that I think the whale deserved this award for best makeup and hairstyling is because Brendan Fraser had that fat suit on 
the entire movie. Not for a second did I think that Brendan Fraser was wearing a fat suit with makeup. And I don't exactly know if best makeup and best hairstyling should be separate categories. I probably think that the hairstylist on The Whale didn't have a lot to do, but I think it's probably more makeup than it is hairstyling. And for that reason, The Whale absolutely deserved to win. On to best cinematography, one that is objective because of the science that goes behind it and also subjective because of the way it looks. And that can probably be true for best costume design and best makeup and hairstyling as well. The winner in this category was James Friend for All Quiet on the Western Front. And you'll notice a pattern here, but trust me, I didn't get every single one right. I did get this category right as well. The other entries in this category were Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, Elvis, Empire of Light, and Tar. And the reason I chose All Quiet on the Western Front for Best Cinematography is that the cinematography in this movie, which detailed boot camp as well as the Western Front of World War I, was amazing in and of itself. Although I did acknowledge that I have not seen Bardo or Empire of Light as of the date of this show. But in, in this case, I didn't really have the sort of Jimmy the Greek kind of mentality where I could say, because of A, B, and C, All Quiet on the Western Front won. But, you know, it was an educated guess and one that I happened to get correct. So I'll take that to the bank. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Now on to the category of Best Production Design. The winner in this category was All Quiet on the Western Front, production designed by Christian M. Goldbeck, and set decoration by Ernestine Hipper. I believe this is the one that I got correct, but I think maybe on last week's show, and I, I'm... I'm very kind of fuzzy on on this one. I think I might have chosen the Fablemans for this one. So maybe I'll count that as one of the ones that I got wrong. But All Quiet on the Western Front definitely deserved this award. And again, all the nominees, well, except maybe Babylon. I, I think that one probably didn't deserve to be nominated. But All Quiet on the Western Front, now that I think of it in hindsight, and I'm not quite sure whether or not I got this one correct, it it definitely deserved to win for many uh, subjective reasons. On to Best Sound. Now, this one I know I got wrong. The winner in this category was Top Gun Maverick, and the awards went to Mark Weingarten, James Mather, Al Nelson, Chris Burden, and Mark Taylor. I think the one that I chose for this category was All Quiet on the Western Front. because, And I still stand by that. That was probably the one that should have won. Because Top Gun Maverick, even though it did have very impressive sound, it was all jet propulsion engines. And I didn't 
think that it had quite the variety of great sound that All Quiet on the Western Front had. And you could argue that All Quiet on the Western Front was bullets and explosions, which might be true. But I think if you look beyond that, All Quiet on the Western Front had a variety of great sound as well. But best sound is one of those science categories that might be a little bit more subjective than others. Now we are delving into the arts and we're going into best original song. Now, I'm I'm kind of mad about this one because the best original song winner was Natu Natu, which was an original song by from the film RRR, and it was RRR's only nomination in the uh, Academy Awards. And by the way, RRR is a film that is not Bollywood, as people uh, might believe, but it's actually uh, Tollywood. So Bollywood and Tollywood are different regions of India. I mean, they don't actually have those names, but they're, um, they're filmed in different locations. And Bollywood has films that are filmed in one location in India, and they are mostly in the language of Hindi, but Tollywood is um, in the region of Telugu, and oh, excuse me, uh, Telangana is the region. Telugu is the language in which they speak. And I'm actually very surprised that this film, or rather this song, was nominated for Best Original Song. I still think that Lift Me Up was probably the best of the five, albeit at the ceremony itself. Rihanna had to come last in terms of performing, and her performance was not the best of the night. I think it was one of the best, but not the best. But Natu Natu probably had the best performance. Not only was the song really good and really catchy, but the cinematography was so good on that song. I kind of feel like the Academy Awards should give out an award for best cinematography. And I think RRR probably would have been nominated again and maybe even won for that one. But I'm still very happy that there was a film that actually was the very first film to come out of India to win any Academy Award of any kind. And that's also a very surprising fact because tons of films come out of India, both Bollywood and Tollywood, as I said, as well as other regions of India. And India is the second most populous country in the world. So it is amazing that only one film from India won this, won an Academy Award. I'm happy for them, but I'm miffed that I didn't get this one right. I would have thought Lift Me Up would have gotten the award just because it's probably the most familiar of the five. But, you know, I would probably say that I'm, I'm happy for the winners. I'm just not happy that I got this one wrong. On to Best Original Score. And the winner of this category was All Quiet on the Western Front. And I believe that was one that I got correct, because I will say that the other four films, Babylon, The Banshees of Inisherin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and oh, actually, scratch that. I got that one wrong. I predicted that The Fablemans would win, um, and John Williams did the score for that film. So... I'm backtracking here. Forgive me, I got that one incorrect. And original score is one that is 
very subjective. And I would have thought that John Williams would have won based on the fact that this was his 52nd overall nomination and he'd won five previous times. Not only does John Williams have the most Oscar nominations of any living person, he's also second only to Walt Disney for being the most nominated person of all time. I thought maybe that would have been that would have held currency for him winning, but I was a- actually um incorrect. And I guess All Quiet on the Western Front score might have been more memorable, but I don't exactly know. But again, I'm kind of miffed that I got that one wrong. So on to the short films. And I got one out of three of these correct. So let me get to the ones that I got incorrect first, starting with Best Animated Short Film. The winner of this category, and I am actually mad about this one. I'm mad the most because I don't think the winner of this category was the best one to win of the other five, uh, the other four nominees. The winner in this category was The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, made by Charles McKay and Matthew Freud. And this one is an Apple TV Plus original, so if you have a subscription to that, you can watch that anytime you want to. The one that I think deserved to win was the one from Australia, which was An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake and I Think I Believe It. That one, the the one I just mentioned, was about as quirky as Everything Everywhere All at Once. It dealt definitely with the perceived real world and also the fact that we might not be living in as real a world as we imagined that we would. Not to mention, I think it had the best animation. And it was also, while this isn't exactly a reason it should have won. It was also the funniest of the five nominees. The bowl, the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse was probably my fourth most favorite. I still think it's an excellent animated short. It was animated very well. The voice acting was done very well, but I thought it was a little too similar to Winnie the Pooh and the little prince and, and those other philosophical stories about childhood. Also, the boy had been out in the snow for three days. He hadn't eaten, and he was trying to find his way home. And then at the end, he finds his way home and decides not to go back home. I didn't I, I guess there's a metaphorical reason behind it, but I'm miffed that the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse won Best Animated Short Film, but I'm not going to get myself up in a bunch because... You know, it was one of the best films of the year. I just think An Ostrich Told Me, You Know the Rest, was the best of these. On to Best Live Action Short Film. This was the category where the winner was not who I predicted would win, but they went up there and they made a very inspiring speech. And for that reason, I'm actually kind of pissed that I got this one wrong. But the winner of this category, the live action short film, was the film An Irish Goodbye, directed and written by Tom Berkeley and Ross White. This was my second favorite of the five nominees. And interestingly enough, the day that or the night that this film won the Oscar for Best Live Action Short Subject, it was also co-star James Martin's birthday. And the co-star of the film, Seamus O'Hara, actually had the people at the Kodak Theater in Hollywood sing happy birthday to James. That was a very sweet moment, and I absolutely loved that. I did think that the red suitcase 
which was from Iran, was the best film of the live-action short films. But An Irish Goodbye was second on my list. I did really like that film, and I did acknowledge my bias of it being an Irish film, and I am a... I'm a I'm a citizen of Ireland in addition to the United States. But I'm I'm really ticked off that I didn't get that one right because that was one of the best acceptance speeches of the night there. And finally, uh, before the break, I'm on to best documentary short subject. The winner in this category was The Elephant Whisperers brought to you by Kartiki Gonzalez and Gunit Monga. And this was the only short category that I got right. And I'm very, very happy that I did because I think this documentary short subject had the best cinematography. I think it did tell the best story. And not only did it make some very dynamic characters out of the people who were taking care of these elephants in their section of rural India, but also the elephants themselves made very intriguing characters. And again, all five of these documentary short subjects were amazing. I just think that The Elephant Whispers was the best of the best, and the Academy agrees with me. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Continuing with my list of the Oscar winners for the ceremony that took place on March 12th, 2023. And I just told you about the short subjects, all three categories, best animation, best live action, and best documentary. Now on to best documentary feature. Now for this category, I knew, I knew I would get this one wrong. Or at least, you know, if I chose the winner, it would be a very educated guess because frankly, I only saw one of the nominees for best documentary feature. If I had the time And if I knew the theaters as well as the streaming platforms that were showing these other documentaries, I would have watched all five. The winner in this category was Nalvany, brought to you by Daniel Rower, Odessa Ray, Diane Becker, Melanie Miller, and Shane Boris. The one I thought was going to win was Fire of Love, which was from Sarah Dosa, Shane Boris, and Ina Fitchman, but I did acknowledge that that was the only documentary of these five that I'd seen. However, Navalny is a film that actually is co-produced by HBO Max and CNN Films, and you can presumably watch this on HBO Max. And as a matter of fact, I think I probably will now that I know that it's actually that what it is actually about. It is about the events related to the poisoning of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny and the subsequent investigation into the poisoning. Now, Alexei Navalny was not only a Russian opposition leaguer, he was highly critical of Vladimir Putin, as most of the Western world is right now. For that reason, Alexei Navalny is on my list of bad heroes. <laughs> if I should say so. And I really got to see this film. I am disappointed 
that I didn't get the pick right for this category, but it seemed like the best documentary won. But I probably wouldn't know that unless I saw all five nominees. All I know is that the one documentary that I saw, Fire of Love, was excellent and deserving of that nomination. But congratulations to the people who made Nalvani for winning the award. Now on to Best International Feature Film. Now, I get this one right every time that one of the movies that's nominated for Best International Feature Film is also nominated for Best Picture. I am actually kind of surprised that RRR was not nominated for Best International Feature Film, but the winner in this category was All Quiet on the Western Front, from Germany, directed by Edward Berger, and it had two major assets. The first one was the one that I mentioned in that it was nominated also for Best Picture, and usually the foreign film that's nominated for Best Picture that's also nominated for Best International Feature Film usually will win that award. It was true for Parasite, it was true for Life is Beautiful, uh, La Vida es Bella, And it was true for All Quiet on the Western Front. And I don't exactly know if it deserved to win over the other four nominees because, frankly, I haven't seen the other four nominees. I've heard great things about EO and Argentina 1985. In fact, somebody actually recommended Argentina 1985 to me a couple of weeks before the Oscars, and I didn't get the chance to see it yet. But I probably will on a future show where I'm playing Oscar catch-up. And I do have some films that I've seen, but I'm going to review on a future show, just not this one. So anyway, Best International Feature Film, All Quiet on the Western Front, I got it correct. On to Best Animated Feature Film. The winner in this category was Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio from Guillermo del Toro, Mark Gustafsson, Gary Ungar, and Alex Bulkley. I predicted... Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was going to win. And I think the reason that it deserved to win was that it not only told a very original version and timely version of Pinocchio, but it was also very expertly animated in stop motion animation. Now, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On also employed stop motion animation as well, but it was a mix of stop motion and live action. But I think Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was a lot more meticulous, and I think it also told a better story. But Marcel the Shell with Shoes On was an an excellent uh, film. Actually, for this um, animated feature film category, I actually did see all five of the nominees, and subjectively, in my opinion, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was the best. So I'm glad that that film won. Now on to Best Adapted Screenplay. The winner in this category was probably the biggest upset of the night, or at least I was upset. (laughs) Uh, The winner for this category was Women Talking, which was based on the novel by Miriam Toes of the same name, and Sarah Polly, who also directed the film, won, uh, uh, also wrote the film, and won for this category. And 
she was also one of the winners who had one of the best acceptance speeches. And also, Sarah Polly has been working in movies for a very long time and TV. She was also the star of the Canadian show Ramona, but she's also been acting in films since she was a child. She was not the only big winner, uh, former child star who was a big winner at the Oscars, but she also turned in a very powerful acceptance speech. But I predicted that All Quiet on the Western Front was going to win this award, and it's a little bit subjective, you know, as to why or how women talking would be better than All Quiet on the Western Front. But I will say that women talking was just that. It was a group of women who were talking about whether or not they should leave their home or stay and fight, or there was a third option that I can't quite remember at the moment, but... Sarah Polly, to her credit, did create some very good dialogue and also dialogue that had me hooked as I was watching the film. So I'm disappointed that All Quiet on the Western Front, my prediction, didn't win. But I did probably say that Women Talking would be um, and would pull off an upset, and that's exactly what that movie did. That was Women Talking's only win for the night, but. For Sarah Polly, it was admittedly well-deserved. Now on to Best Original Screenplay. The winner in this category was Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And that was not the only award that Everything Everywhere All at Once would win, and it was not the only award that Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert would win as well. It's one of the ones that I predicted would win, and I'm so happy that I got that one right as well. And I think compared to... The other nominees, Everything Everywhere All at Once, I think was the best because it told an amazing story, had very sharp dialogue, but it also dealt with the complexities of the multi-universe, some of which were horrifying, some of which were funny, and all of which had me hooked. I think if there was one to pull off an upset, it probably would have been Tar, which was a very, very smart film and had amazing dialogue, primarily for Kate Blanchett. But I think Everything Everywhere All at Once deserved to win, and I'm very glad that it did win. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, and I'm going through my list of the winners for the Oscars and what I predicted would win and what would not win. And now we're getting into the major categories. These are the ones to which everyone else 
about which everyone else is talking and probably will continue to talk for the next few years or maybe even the next few months until the next Oscar nominees are announced. There were some winners that were gratifying. There are others that were controversial, but I predicted for these last six categories, five out of six of the winners. I am kind of annoyed that I didn't pick the winner uh, of one category, but um, I am very happy for the person who won. So starting with Best Supporting Actress, the winner in this category was Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And not only is this Jamie Lee Curtis's first win, it's also her first nomination. And Jamie Lee Curtis is part of Hollywood royalty. Her parents, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, each received one nomination for acting. Tony Curtis received a nomination for Best Actor in a Leading Role for The Defiant Ones, for which he was also nominated alongside Sidney Poitier, and neither of them won. Janet Lee was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Psycho, and amazingly, she didn't win. But I think in the grand scheme of things, a lot more people remember Janet Lee's performance in Psycho than the woman who actually won that award. So, and you can look it up. I, I don't really have time to look it up right now, but... Jamie Lee Curtis did turn in a great Oscar acceptance speech, but that's not the only reason I'm glad she won. I'm glad she won because she took what would otherwise have been a very either dry role or a role that could have been villainous, and she actually put some nuance into it. And not only was she very unlikable in this role, she also happened to be very funny as well. And not just in the universe where she has hot dogs for fingers. So I'm very happy that Jamie Lee Curtis won. And I'm also very happy that I got this uh, prediction correct. Now on to Best Supporting Actor. When I mentioned that Sarah Pauly was one of the winners for or, uh, the former child stars who won an Academy Award, she was not the only one. The other one was this former child star, Kei Hui Kwan, who won for Best Supporting Actor for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I predicted last week that Judd Hirsch was going to win this award for The Fablemans. And part of me kind of wishes that he did, but at the same time, Kei Hui Kwan has experienced his share of setbacks in addition to triumphs since he made it in Hollywood as an actor. Of course, he had those major supporting roles in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and The Goonies, and had smaller supporting roles in movies like Encino Man, but we haven't seen him for a very long time. He did act excellently in Everything Everywhere All at Once, and he probably had the best acceptance speech of the night. I was close to tears hearing Kei Hui Kwan's speech, and... I am very happy for Kei Hui Kwan, but I'm very miffed that I didn't get his prediction correct. I did think that Judd Hirsch probably did have the best performance of the five, but I did say that Kei Hui Kwan could pull off an upset, and I'm actually kind of glad he did on one hand, but I'm, I also have my male pride, and I am disappointed that I got that one wrong. But congratulations to Kei Hui Kwan for that award. On to Best Actress. The winner in this category was Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once, as I predicted. And I'm very happy that Michelle Yeoh won as well. It was her first nomination and her first win. And also, 
she won at the age of 60. And not only that, that she won it at an older age, especially when the Academy has historically given this award to the younger actresses as opposed to the older actresses, unless Meryl Streep is uh, nominated or somebody around that uh, that, uh, caliber. But I did say that Kate Blanchett had the possibility of pulling off an upset here, but I'm very glad that Michelle Yeoh won because I did think that definitely amongst the other nominees, she turned in the best performance. And she also had an excellent acceptance speech that meant a lot to me, particularly being an older person than I am. I'm not 60, I'm 40, but, you know, I'm still at that age where I think that the best is yet to come. And Michelle Yeoh is an inspiration to me because she definitely um, personifies that belief. On to Best Actor. The winner of that category for Best Actor is... Brendan Fraser for The Whale, which I absolutely predicted was go- uh, the person I predicted was going to win. And I think that Brendan Fraser turned in the best performance. And it wasn't just because of his makeup. It's also because he plays a man with a lot of regret and he plays it with a lot of anger as well as a lot of sympathy. And he definitely anchored this performance so much that I began to forget as the movie was progressing that it was that the movie, the whale was based on a play and it did in a lot of ways feel like a play, but I think that Brendan Fraser as an actor brought this film with the caliber of his performance out of the confines of stage left and stage right. And there are scenes in this movie where he doesn't ridicule anyone who's who's of this weight he actually sees and exemplifies the humanity in this kind of character so congratulations to brendan fraser who also turned in a very heartfelt acceptance speech not as good as kehui kwan but i it's it's probably one of the best of the night on to best director the winner in this category was Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, their second Academy Award for the same movie, for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I definitely think compared to Martin McDonough, Steven Spielberg, Todd Field, and Ruben Ostland, that Everything Everywhere All at Once did have the best direction. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert wrote and also directed a very complicated story. And nowhere within the story did I feel lost. And I think that has a lot to do with the writing, the editing, and first and foremost, the direction. And I, I say that not only because the Daniels, as they're known, this is their only, this is their second film. Their first film was Swiss Army Man, which came out back in 2017, which had some critical praise. I didn't think it was that great. I thought it was a little too foolish. But everything, everywhere, all at once, even if you liked the film The Swiss Army Man, was a tremendous improvement over The Swiss Army Man. Now on to Best Picture. I could list all the nominees, but I don't really have time for that. The winner in this category was Everything Everywhere All at Once, which Daniel Kwan, Daniel Scheinert, and Jonathan Wang won as producers because the producers get the Best Picture Oscars. And this movie definitely deserved to win. It was up against some very fierce competition, 
but I do think that it was the best picture of the year. It was the one of the ones that I predicted, and I'm very happy that I predicted it, as well as I'm also very excited to see what Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert come up with as filmmakers next. It's going to be very, very hard to top everything everywhere all at once, but I do think that the Academy made the right decision, and I'm very happy that I got this one, well, several of my predictions correct. Was it a predictable year? No, I don't think so. But I'm just very happy for the ones that I got right. And for the ones that I got wrong, I eat a slice of humble pie and still acknowledge that a vast majority of the ones that I got wrong did, in the grand scheme of things, actually deserve to win. back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. I just went through all the Academy Award winners and the ones that I got correct, the ones that I sort of wish I had gotten correct. Actually, I wish I had gotten all 23 of them correct. I would ride that Jimmy the Greek wave like nobody's business (laughs) and maybe get some more listeners in the process. But I'm pretty happy with the ones that I chose. And I do have to say that the Oscar ceremonies this year were not perfect. I think there were some moments where there are some moments where the pacing could have been better. The announcement of the winners and the nominees could have been more organized. And I also thought that uh, the in memoriam section left a lot to be desired. I'm just going to go through this very quickly because I don't have a ton of time. There were some people who were announced for the um, in memoriam section, but there were also some other people who were left out. For example, Ray Liotta was announced in the in memoriam section, and there was a segment of the movie Goodfellas, which surprisingly, Ray Liotta was not nominated for Best Actor for that film. And that's very surprising. But what's even more surprising was that Paul Sorvino who had never been nominated for an Oscar before, but definitely played a pivotal role in Goodfellas, was not mentioned in that um, in-memoriam section at all. They also left out some other actors like Gilbert Gottfried, Anne Heche, and probably the most surprising of all was leaving out the um, the actress uh, Charlby Dean, who was in Triangle of Sadness, which was nominated for several Academy Awards, including Best Picture. But Charlby uh, Dean Creek, that's her full name, was not only very uh, young when she died, she was only uh, 32, but uh, she actually died from bacterial sepsis, which is absolutely tragic. And why the In Memoriam section didn't mention her, I don't exactly know, but that was a very bad snub. They also didn't mention 
Tom Sizemore and Robert Blake, both of whom had died within the week of the um, Oscar ceremonies. And I could sort of understand why they didn't uh, put Robert Blake there. But then again, Robert Blake was put to trial, was put on trial for murder and he was found not guilty by a jury of his peers. Whether or not he actually was guilty or not is kind of irrelevant, but he did make a con- contribution to film and it's really too bad that the in memoriam segment left left all those actors out and there are probably more that they left out as well but for for sake of time i mentioned all the big ones paul sorvino gilbert gottfried tom sizemore um and all the uh, charlie dean probably most especially but now since i only have less than 10 minutes on my show i'm going to get into some of the The 43rd Golden Raspberry Award winners, better known as the Razzies. And there are some controversies here. For example, one of the biggest controversies was the nomination of child actress Ryan Kiera Armstrong for Worst Actress for her performance in the remake of Firestarter. A bunch of people had a very big problem with this, including Drew Barrymore, who was, when she was a child was the star of the original film. She criticized this decision. And there are also some other nominees for this category over the last couple of years to whom some critics blame for having ruined their acting careers. For example, Gary Coleman was nominated in 1982 for On the Right Track. Macaulay Culkin was nominated in 1995 for Richie Rich. And Jake Lloyd was nominated in 2004, Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace. I don't think those nominations ruined their careers per se. There were other factors, if you really look into them, that might have ruined their careers. And I also, I object to Ryan Keir Armstrong being nominated in this category, not because it would ruin her career necessarily, but because she herself wasn't bad in the movie. There was just a lot of other things about Firestarter that were bad. I didn't think she was bad, and I also didn't think Zac Efron acted poorly, or Gloria Stewart, or anybody for that matter. It just wasn't a particularly scary movie. And there were also things that the main characters did that were just very stupid decisions. But that's more on the screenwriting and the directing, not the acting. But on to the winners and nominees. I'm going to start from the top. The worst picture of the five nominees was Blonde. And the primary reason that I don't think that Blonde should have won Best Picture, let alone have been nominated, was because of the fact that Ana de Armas, who played Marilyn Monroe in the movie Blonde, was so good, she was nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role, and nobody complained about that. She was excellent, and I don't think anybody can deny that. And she was not nominated for Worst Actress um, in in the Razzies, and I think that definitely says a lot. The other um, uh, four films were Disney's Pinocchio, which I didn't think was that bad, Good Morning, which I haven't seen, The King's Daughter, which I also haven't seen, and Morbius, which I have seen, and it did deserve to be nominated for Worst Picture. But I do think that there were some other films, particularly ones that were on my list, like, for example, um, the film Babylon, I thought was particularly bad, and I was kind of surprised that movie wasn't nominated for Worst Picture. But on to uh, worst, di- worst Director. Um, 
The winner in this category was actually one that was shared between Machine Gun Kelly and Maude's son for the movie Good Morning. Now that Good Morning has been nominated for so many awards, I kind of have to see that film just to see how bad it is for, for myself. I kind of wished I had seen it before I did my um, worst movies of 2022 list. But I just like I can't see all the great films necessarily, I can't see all the bad films either. But anyway, um, worst director, Machine Gun Kelly and Mod Son, they probably had the least experience. They did have the least experience of the other four nominees. So, yeah, maybe they probably deserve to win for this one. Anyway, on to worst actor. The, the winner in this category was uh, Jared Leto for Morbius, which I think was relatively deserved. I think that Jared Leto is kind of experiencing a downturn in his popularity as well as his repertoire as of late. He did not turn in a very good performance in Morbius. And I think maybe Tom Hanks probably, Oh, actually Tom Hanks was nominated for Disney's Pinocchio as worst actor in a leading role. He was nominated for worst actor in a supporting role for Elvis, which I think was a deserved nomination. But anyway, on to Worst Actress. This is actually kind of surprising. Of the five nominees, there was actually somebody who won who was not a nominee, at least not at first. The winner for Worst Actress was The Razzies. Yes, you heard me right. The Razzies won Worst Actress for their 43rd Worst Actress nominations blunder. Apparently, they buckled under pressure from the controversy that came from their nomination of Ryan Keir Armstrong for the movie Firestarter. They removed her as a nominee and then they nominated themselves. And I think that was actually a pretty good move. I think that amongst the other nominees in this category, I didn't think any of them of the ones that I seen were that bad, especially not Bryce Dallas Howard for Jurassic world dominion or Diane Keaton for Mac and Rita. So Good for the um, Razzies for <laughs> eating their own raspberries, I guess. On to Worst Supporting Actor. The winner in this category w was Tom Hanks in Elvis as Colonel Tom Parker. I don't think there's any controversy with this because just about everyone I've spoken to who have seen Elvis acknowledge that A, Austin Butler was amazing as Elvis, and B, Tom Hanks was grossly miscast as Colonel Tom Parker. And I, I do have to say that I wouldn't say that it's the worst performance that I've ever seen from Tom Hanks, but it is probably the worst performance I've seen from Tom Hanks as of late. And also, I really hated his Dutch accent in this movie. But again, Tom Hanks probably deserved to win for this one, So especially amongst the other nominees. But I will also say that I haven't seen three out of the five nominees in this category. I do find it funny, though, that Tom Hanks and Pete Davidson were nominated this year for Worst Actor in a Leading Role and Worst Actor in a Supporting Role. I just think that's funny. On to Worst Supporting Actress. The winner in this category was Adria Aryona for Morbius. And actually, I don't really remember her role in that movie, which probably tells you something about uh, maybe how forgettable her um, role was. But I don't 
I, I haven't actually seen most of the nominees in this category. So Morbius again, why not? That movie deserves pretty much all its critical backlash. It just was not a good comic book adaptation and definitely didn't live up to the either Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Sony Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was just bad, and I don't blame Marvel for writing that film off entirely. On to worst screen combo. I kind of got into this in my rundown for worst actor in a supporting role, but the winner for this one was Tom Hanks and not only his latex-laden face, which probably would have been a winner for worst makeup if the Razzies had that award, but also for that ludicrous accent, specifically that ludicrous Dutch accent. I was listening to his Tom Hanks speak in the movie Elvis, and as I was listening to him, I was thinking, what kind of accent is he doing? Because sometimes it sounded a little Dutch, sometimes it sounded German, maybe Austrian sometimes, but either way, it was all over the place. So Tom Hanks definitely deserved this award for worst screen combo. And I can't exactly say what I would have predicted because I didn't really make any um, predictions for this one. But on to worst remake, ripoff, or sequel. The winner in this category was, and this is kind of funny the way it's written, the winner was Disney's Pinocchio, not Del Toro's, with an exclamation point. (laughs) And I don't exactly know if this one deserved to win because I did see Disney's Pinocchio. While I will acknowledge that it wasn't nearly as good as Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, I still didn't think it was that bad. And it definitely didn't hold the candle to the original one. But I think this is probably one of the live action remakes that's probably going to discourage Disney from making any more live action remakes. With that said... The live-action remake of The Little Mermaid is coming out. People are already mad about it for the wrong reasons. In other words, that a black actress is playing Ariel, and that is a really, really bad reason to be mad about the remake. I'm not going to be mad about it. I'm just going to see that film objectively, and I'll let you know what I think around the time it comes out. And it's going to come out in about a month or so, but I have been avoiding... um, I've been avoiding movie previews like the the plague like I normally do. And there's only two other nominations in or rather winners in the Raspberry Awards that I will tell you about right now. I'm not going to delve into them too much, but worst screenplay, Blonde won for that. I can't exactly say whether or not that was deserved. And the Razzie Redeemer Award goes to Colin Farrell, who was the um the nominee for 2004 worst actor for Alexander and he was um and, and he was a best ask, actor Oscar front runner i think that Razzie Redeemer award is deserved Val Kilmer was also nominated in this category for his role in Top Gun which he did very well and Mark Wahlberg was nominated for his role in Father Stew which i also think while Father Stew wasn't a perfect film I still think Mark Wahlberg deserved a nomination for this, but good for Colin Farrell for winning. That just about does it for this episode of Words on Film. Words on Film is the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures, and I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, reminding you that the views and opinions expressed on Words on Film about movies or other topics are solely those of your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of any employees or volunteers who are working at WBCA or the station as a whole. 
until I watch a whole bunch of brand new movies. This is Dan Burke saying I'll see you at the movies.